part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Father, as we open up your word, Father, we uh, proclaim that it's coming from a good, good Father that loves His children and desires for us to have truth in our lives. So, Father, this day we pray that you would uh, bless us Father, you'd give us insight to your word, and Father, that you'd give us practical application to be able to walk in this place, not so that we can just kind of check off on a spiritual list of things to do, that we would just walk more in the lightness of your Son. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Now, Father, we give you this time so that you can teach our mind and our heart, Father, obedience, as you described in your Son. Obedience with the motive of love and not just the law. We love you, Father, and we thank you. So we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I was to Philemon. It's in the New Testament. It's going to be almost all the way to the end. Uh, in my Bible, I, I realize some people have study Bibles and different things like that, but it's that far toward the end. I mean, it's really there. And more than likely, if it's like my Bible, it's only on one page. It's just right there. So if you know where Hebrews is, Hebrews is a little bit easier to find. Go one page before Hebrews, and you will find this book of Philemon. And it's going to be an interesting book that we look, and this morning we're going to kind of, again, do kind of a Star Wars approach. We're going to start in the middle, and then kind of work backwards and and forwards from there, uh, kind of tell the rest of the story. But uh, this morning I'm going to start off with kind of that mindset, because we're talking about maturity in Christ in 2017. How do we not just attend church? How do we not just kind of do the Christian life as some kind of a drill but how do we really become more and more like Christ with each passing day? More and more like Christ in, in our marriage, in our parenting, and uh, the way that we would be obedient to our, our parents, the way that we would do our job, the way that we just live life. How do we have this mindset of Christ in our lives so that more and more we're not just reflective of some moral code, but we're really reflective of the one who changed our life, Christ? Well, this morning we're going to look at how that happens in the lives of three people. And I'm going to start this morning with maybe inviting you to go back to that place. Maybe some of you are in your early 20s. Sometimes it was the 30s. Uh, Maybe for some, late bloomers, it was your 40s. But that moment in your life, if you are in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, I realize we have some that are younger than that. That moment in your life that it kind of clicked in that your parents were pretty much smarter than you thought they were. You know, that, that point of maturity when it wasn't just a rule that they had given you, but you kind of saw... The meaning of the rule, the, the, the purpose of the rule. It wasn't just that he said, okay, be in at 12 o'clock. Don't you come in at 12.01. And you began to see the wisdom of that. Not just the rule by itself, so that you had to be obedient. But you began to understand, there in your 20s or 30s or 40s, that there was a purpose behind that. And that there was actually not restriction in that rule, but there was actually freedom in that rule. For many of us, it's when we had children ourselves. And all of a sudden we began to see, wow, there's a good reason why dad said this, why mom said this. And all of a sudden we began to see that it wasn't just to aggravate us. It really was this extreme form of love that they wanted just the very best for us. Well, folks, we can go through the Christian life and we can live in obedience by being rule followers. And I can tell you that that will avoid a lot of pain in your life. There's a lot of things that, that you're, not, you're going to kind of miss, some, some hurrying uh, activities, some, 
some challenging things, some broken hearts. But, but I want you to know this morning that, that God did not call us to be rule followers, but Christ followers. And there's a difference. In fact, there's a really big difference. Now, I've preached before about rule following and Christ following, and, and those looks that I get sometimes is like, well, we're not supposed to follow rules. Yes, but for the motive of being like Christ, not just the motive of here's the set of rules, kind of black and white, and, and this is how we do. And we just kind of click off on the box that this is how we live the Christian life. No, it's because we become more and more like Christ that we want to be obedient to the Father. Why? Because He's a good, good Father. I mean, do we sing a song like that and kind of miss the point that it's not just kind of a catchy tune, it's not just, oh, okay, God, we really love you and you're a good, good Father, but that we really, from our heart, from the very heartbeat that we believe, with every fiber of our being, that He's a good, good Father, even when He says something that is quite challenging to us. Because if you're a student of the Word, you're going to find some challenges there. I mean, you're going to find some really nice stuff. Love your brother. You know, be nice to people. Be kind. Now, you're going to find a lot of that stuff in the Bible, but you're also going to find some of those things that just hit you upside the head. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And when we begin to see those kind of things that stretch from our own natural being that does not want to forgive, maybe we want to forgive if they've really been repentful, if they've really said that they were sorry, if they bowed over backwards to to kind of make amends, then we're going, okay, I'm going to be forgiving. But what about those folks that never did that? And they look at you with this harshness. They look at you with a hardness. And and you haven't seen that. And yet we see the command of Christ, at least on our part, to still be very forgiving people. Folks, that's maturity when we begin to see it not as a rule to be followed, but a heart and a mind acquired because of salvation. See, I I think we can grow a whole bunch of your, you that are growing children, you can grow rule followers. I pray, I pray that you raise Christ followers that they know kind of the reason behind the rule. And that is one that brings freedom, not one that just says, okay, you step out of line, you've got to go to your room. I mean, certainly there should be kind of this discipline. We all need it to be disciplined. The Bible says in Hebrews that he's such a good father that he will discipline his children. And yet, my prayer for you is that we would establish here at Cornerstone as you're raising your children, a desire for them not just to follow the rules, but to follow the one who set the rules and save their heart and save their life and can give them life everlasting, Christ Jesus. See, see, that's what we want to do. And we see a little bit of that in this story. We see a moment of maturity, or at least a, a moment when Paul calls for one of his good friends who has somebody who has done an offense against him. It, Paul calls him into a place of maturity. See, that mark of maturity of a Christian life is beginning to see more and more the way that God wants us to live, not as punitive, not as restrictive, but actually as freedom giving. And, and, and it shouldn't take 50 or 60, 70 years to do that. It's not one of those things. God doesn't want us at, at the twilight of our years in our 80s or our 90s to say, you know, I think I just figured it out. These rules, these commands, this law that God gave us was really actually there to give us freedom, not to restrict us from having fun in life. My prayer is that we would be able to understand that, embrace that, and live that out early in life. Philemon. It's a book about people. 
probably the most personal book, I would say maybe, in the New Testament. Uh, he writes, Paul is writing, uh, the Apostle Paul, probably one of the, the heaviest hitters in the New Testament. Christ has already ascended by this point. Paul is out there. He's kind of probably the number one guy, along with Peter, out there as just far as apostolic influence and power. And he goes to a friend who has had this offense against him. Let me play the story out a little bit. His friend's name is Philemon. Philemon's a very wealthy guy. Uh, we don't know what business he was in, but he was a wealthy man. More than likely, he had probably been led to Christ by Paul. You know how you always have that kind of bond with somebody who showed you the gospel and showed you the, the beauty of Christ and the treasure of Christ? They'll always have that special place in your life. Maybe it was a mom or a dad or a friend or a Sunday school teacher. But more than likely, Paul was that person to Philemon. And so he, he's got this special relationship. They don't get to see each other often, but as Paul's out on his missionary journeys. But Philemon is maturing and growing in Christ. He, uh, uh, the church of Colossae, uh, the Colossians, they actually, some of them meet for what we would maybe call life group in his home. Uh, maybe not the whole church there, but certainly people gather in that city and they meet in Philemon's house and, and they study the Bible. Philemon, and, and this was just the way it was in those days, he, they had servants. And he had many servants. So he's a wealthy man. And one of his servants, by the name of Onesimus, his servant one day sees something that he likes. We don't know if it was gold, silver. We don't know exactly what it was. But more than likely, we get the kind of the indication here from Paul. He never comes out and says that Onesimus was a thief. But basically, we think that he took some goods, some valuable things from Philemon, and he headed to Rome. And that's about a thousand miles away. Now, why did he do that? Number one, because if you're going to be a servant who runs away, number one, that's against the law. It could cost you your life. He was thinking maybe in Rome he could kind of just mix because there were other servants there that actually had gained their freedom. And so he thought maybe in that population of Rome, uh, they won't find me. I can hide out there and I can go on and live my life. Onesimus had two strikes against Philemon. Number one, took something valuable, more than likely. He, He was a runaway servant. Long story short, Onesimus comes over here. He's in Rome. Guess who he runs into one day? The Apostle Paul. Now, some would say, well, that was just chance. What are the odds? Exactly. What are the odds? That this guy would run away from this land a thousand miles away, and he would run into Paul. But I think, believe that it was the sovereignty of God that God had ordained this moment in time. He runs into Paul. Paul leads him to the treasure of Christ. Onesimus trusts the gospel for his salvation, and he's a new man. And he begins to help Paul. Paul's in prison. Paul needs some people that can go do errands and encouragement and different things like that. Onesimus is this man. He's a changed man. No longer a thief. No longer one that's just running away. Now he wants to involve his life with Christ. And that's where we pick up the story. Paul finds out that Onesimus was a servant in Philemon's house. And instead of just going to Onesimus first, he decides to write Philemon and ask Philemon to do something that would have been challenging, hard. 
said, Philemon, I, I want you to forgive Onesimus for what he's done. And in the coming weeks, we're going to explore what, how do we forgive? Because there's a lot about forgiveness in this book. But right now, this morning, we want to say, what is the mind and the heart of forgiveness? See, one of the most challenging things is to, to say with the mouth, I forgive you. But have you ever said with your mouth, I forgive you, and in your heart and your mind, you didn't really forgive? I mean, it's hard enough. Isn't it hard enough to say, I forgive you? I mean, just spitting those words out are challenging enough. But have you ever said those words out of the compulsion that it was the right thing to do, and yet your heart and your mind really wasn't behind it? I mean, you said those words because somehow you wanted it to be true, but somehow your mind and your heart did not catch up with your words. Folks, I think we've all been there before. I mean, in one way we're going to go, that's good that at least we have that, those words, that we at least are speaking those words of, you know, I forgive you. But Christ never just wanted us to be people that had words. The whole point of Christ coming into our lives is so that we might have salvation and that we might be a changed people from the inside out. And that he would change this mind and he would change this heart so that it would be more reflective of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Philemon. Look at verse 8 and 9. Again, we're starting in the middle. We'll go back next week and look at the beginning. But we want to start in the middle. And, and I want you to notice the words that Paul is writing to his friend Philemon. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Do, do you capture what Paul's saying there? Paul's the apostle, probably one of the best known, again, Christians of that time, probably one of the most powerful guys, that if he spoke it, it was like, oh, the apostle Paul said that. I mean, it carries a lot of weight. And he goes and he begins to write to his friend, and he said, look, I could, if I wanted to, throw the apostle card right on you. I could say, look, this is the right thing to do. You are to forgive as you've been forgiven. The Bible says that. That's what the command of Christ is. And so I command you forgive this person. In the same way that we often do, if you've ever had two children, multiple children, you go hug your sister. I always loved when my mom told me that. Because I hugged her. Oh, did I hug her. You know, you, uh, you give her one of those right around the head. The head's hanging out. You know, you hug your sister really tight. I don't think that's what mom said, but you know, it's one of those things. You know, mom was really wanting a restoration of the relationship. And yet, haven't we all been obedient as children that sometimes we did what was commanded of us, and yet our heart and our mind was not even beginning to be there. We just kind of went through the motions. And sometimes, folks, we think that we outgrow that. Sometimes we think that, okay, now that I'm a mature adult and I have kids of my own and maybe even grandchildren, that maybe I don't have that attitude. But, you know, oftentimes when it comes to our relationship with God, we kind of get in that same mode. Okay, I'll do it because God has commanded me to do it. Paul takes a whole different approach here. He says, I could command you. Even look what he says, though I'm bold enough in Christ. You know what he means by that? Hey, I have the standing. I have the card. If you just want me to give you the card, the apostle card, I have the authority to be able to do this. But look at verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I have the authority... I want there to be another motive. 
Paul took this approach, and we see it even back in verse 1. Look at verse 1 real quick. Paul, what? What does he say? How does he identify himself? Only time in the Bible that we see that. I mean, most of the time when he's announcing himself, he's writing letters to different churches and different people. This is a little bit different, number one. This is written to an individual, not to a church. It's not to the Philippians. It's not to the Colossians. It's not to the Ephesians. This is to Philemon. It's, it's kind of a personal letter. And when he addresses Philemon, he doesn't say Paul and then fills in the blank with his apostolic authority. How does he identify himself? Prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, was he actually a prisoner? Yes. <laughs> but do you think that's what he meant? Hey, I'm, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Because of my stand for Christ, I'm actually in chains right now. Do you think that's what he meant? Or what would you fathom that, that Paul really meant as he addresses this friend and he's going to go and say, will you forgive this runaway servant? What do you think Paul means by Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus? Anybody? I mean, I usually, this is usually my time, but, but I'm, I'm asking. Yeah. And what do, I think you know something about that bondservant since you use that term. Brittany, what, what do you think that means? What, what was he trying to imply there? Yeah. Yeah, as I come under the authority of Christ Jesus, not my own authority, I'm asking you to just simply join me here at the foot of the cross. Just join me as a bondservant. Just join me in the place where God has taken me. He's not bragging. I think he's just saying, look, it's kind of lonely down here. <laughs> and I appeal on the fact that I'm a prisoner. I've become this bondservant for Christ. Most of the time that Paul introduced himself, he almost always used his apostolic credentials. He used that authority for good purpose, not in a prideful way. In the same way that you and I would often do that. Uh, there was a time back that, uh, probably sometime last year, that uh, in Cornerstones, in some of the business that we had to do as a church, uh, Andy, who works in the DA's office, uh, I said, can you correspond back to these people? It wasn't a moral issue or anything like that. <laughs> we were dealing with a, a government thing. I said, could you write this back on, on your DA letterhead? I said, would that be an infringement of, of what you're allowed to do? And uh, I said, because I think it would carry a lot of weight that they know that they're dealing with people of reputable means. And he said, yeah, I'd be glad to. And he even signed that real fancy, you know, at the bottom, you know, Esquire and all that kind of stuff that you do when you're a lawyer. Why? Because we wanted that authority, we wanted that letter to say, look, you don't know us from Adam, but I want you to know we're responsible people here. And, and as we deal with you, I want you to know that we're just trying to be responsible. Paul easily could have used that type of authority. He could have come in there with every letter, with every card, but he doesn't. He says, look, I'm a bondservant. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And Philemon, I write to you as a friend, as a co-laborer. I do not come on my authority, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He said he didn't use that letterhead. It's almost like he got out his friend notepad. You know how you have your official letterhead and then you have your pad that you write notes to to your friends? It's almost like he got that friend notebook out and said, hey, Philemon, here, here's what I want you to know. Look at verse 13 and 14. I would have been glad to keep him with you. Now he's talking about Onesimus, this uh, runaway servant, how he's now with Paul. And, and look what he says. 
I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. See, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to send Onesimus back. Not just because it's the right thing to do. He said, look, I'm not trying to push your hand on this at all. Here's what I'm I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to approach this not from a legal law standpoint. I'm not even trying to use the Scripture as a bully stick. I want the Scripture to change your heart and your mind. Have you ever used the Scripture, the Word of God, as a bully stick? I, I imagine that almost all of us have at one point in time. I mean, maybe even with our kids. Well, you know what the Lord says about... I mean, you're talking about putting the fear of God into a little kid. And maybe in that moment of frustration, we we use that. And and is there truth that God did say that? And is there truth that they should have an obedience? This is the way that you should... For example, let's say that your little boy, little girl is lying. You know, and, and in that moment of frustration when you catch your son or daughter in a lie, once again, well, you know the Lord said that thou shalt not you know, bear false witness. I mean, you can go back to the King James. Just because, you know, that's really heavy authority stuff there. We've all done that. And, and the truth of the matter is, that is truth. But what are you really trying to do in that young boy's heart, that young girl's heart? To get them to be obedient to a law? to become a follower of Christ. Are you trying to mold their mind and their heart to actually see that telling the truth in that matter is actually the mature thing. It's actually the thing that will actually bring freedom to your life instead of heaviness to your life. See, I've told you before, I, I was raised in the church. It was the law. And it worked its work in me. Grew up with guilt and fear and I mean, if I did this, God was going to be right around the corner and turn on the light in my darkness. Very seldom was I ever challenged to grow up and just follow Christ. And when we are obedient to the law because it's the law, instead of being obedient because we want to follow Christ, here's what we miss, guys. We miss the motive of the Father. And I promise you that all ten of those commandments, the motive of the Father was not restrictive. It was to give us freedom. It was to give us a blessed life. I mean, ultimately, we know that it was to show us that we could not be obedient to that and that we needed the gospel. We needed Christ. I I don't miss that point. But in those commandments that God has given us, it wasn't saying, okay, look, you know, you've got to pay your time here on earth, and so here's the box I want you to live in, and you're just going to have to wait to heaven before you can have a real good time. When he says don't steal, there's a reason for that because he knew that it would only bring hardship, heaviness, brokenheartedness to our lives. And he said to honor him and him alone. He knew that that was what we were made for. We were kind of, our DNA, folks, is, is kind of wired up that way. And there's something pure about when we're singing, you're a good, good father, there's just something in our soul that says yes to that. It affirms how we have been created and made. That, that's what Paul is striving for here. Philemon's a good man. I mean, look at verses 4 through 6. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. 
because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective to the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He said, hey, I hear about you and, and you've really, you're growing in Christ. And you're maturing. But look what he says in verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Man, you're, you're not just doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I've actually, lives are being changed, Philemon, because you're following Christ. You, you have this mindset, this heart of, of, of being like Christ. And, and I hear that that's refreshing to people that are around you. They're actually seeing Christ in you. And they're becoming encouraged. And then Paul goes in and says, so, so here's what I ask you to do. I want you to forgive this runaway servant. I want you to forgive not because it's the right thing to do. I want you to forgive because it follows the commands of Christ. Yes. But it's because of what Christ has done for you. I want your motive not to be because the authority of God says it. I want it to be because this is how you grow in Christ's life. This You'd be modeling. You'd be acting just like Jesus did when he forgave us. See, see, you're going to determine in your life if you're going to be satisfied with rule following or if you're going to make it the purpose and the, the primary focus of your life in this race that we've been talking about in 2017. Hey, I just want to become more and more like Christ because that's the race. That's the calling. To become more and more like Christ. Not just, hey, we did more than good than bad. No, the call of Christ in this race is the Romans 8.29 that more and more we are found in the image of Christ. More and more we're conformed to think and act and be like Christ among our family, among our fellow church members, among the people that we work with. That they find that this is not just a moral person. Certainly we would have that morality if we're going to be following Christ. But there's a motive behind this morality that isn't just legal and law-driven. And this guy really loves his Savior. Let me end with this question. Has the gospel changed you to a point of obedience? Not because it is demanded by God, even though he clearly has that right, guys. But because it's the person you are becoming, have become, or becoming in Christ Jesus. Do you see the difference there? Do you see the distinction? Do you see what Paul is calling finally men to do? He's not just saying do this from a legal viewpoint, from a spiritual legal viewpoint. He's saying, look, when you forgive as Christ forgave you, you truly are becoming a Christ follower. And the maturity that hit us in our 20s or 30s or 40s, when we sat there and we said, that's the reason mom said be in at 12. Don't do this or don't do that. And that maturity that we begin to see that there was actually a reason behind, a motive behind the law that was for our good, not for our restriction. That more and more that we would begin to see that. In the coming weeks, we'll see that even in this area of forgiveness. Because in one way, when God asks you to forgive, doesn't it seem like you're the one just giving, giving, giving? And what we will find that in true forgiveness, Christian forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, we actually get a lot. 
actually get a lot. We get some freedom that doesn't come when we kind of hold on to a lack of forgiveness, when we hold on to a, a bitter spirit. God is calling us to maturity. And that maturity takes on the mind and the heart of Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning as we think about maturing in Christ, Father, it's not a method. It's not just a checklist that we begin to to do more good things than bad, that we keep the law more than we break the law. Father, it is talking about a changed heart and a changed mind. And so, Father, in this walk of maturity, this call to maturity, Father, I pray that today that we would take on, Father, willingly this, this heart and mind and say, Lord, teach me. Give me that heart. Give me that mind that truly can forgive what seems so unforgivable. And that I won't just be hugging. I just won't be making up because it's the, the right thing to do or because there's some authority that has told me that this is the right thing to do. Father, that it will be because I'm motivated by the love of Christ. Father, today, there are areas of my life that I'm obedient because of the law. And I pray, Father, I pray, Father, that you would show my mind and my heart how to be so attracted, Father, to your real motive. Father, it wouldn't be because it's the right thing to do. Father, it's the loving thing to do. Father, today, for those that are struggling with forgiveness in one's life, as we would look at this area in the weeks to come, Father, I pray that you would begin to work in their heart and their mind. Father, I I don't know that there wouldn't be every single person in here that has struggled in the past and maybe even now, Father, with uh, truly forgiving one who has offended them. So, Father, we are students in need of a teacher. We are empty vessels that need to be filled with truth. And, Father, I pray that you begin that journey even this morning. Give us a mind and a heart that is from your Son. We love you and we thank you. As we pray all these things in this blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.